Our Old Testament reading today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 13, through chapter 53, verse 12. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that he, we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our woes, yet we esteemed our, him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who consider that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's psalm is Psalm 118, verses 19 through 29. We shall read responsibly by whole verse. Open unto me the gates of righteousness, that I may go into them and give thanks unto the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. Righteous shall enter into it. I will thank you, and for you have heard me, or for you have heard me, and have become my salvation. The same stone which the builders refused has been chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice to be glad. Help me now, O Lord. O Lord, send us now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord who has shown us light, bind the sacrifice with cords, even to the horns of the altar. 
You are my God, I will thank you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is gracious. His mercy endures forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament reading today is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the form of God, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. So that passage that we just heard, this day that we're celebrating, this is, this is it. Like, this is what everyone was waiting for. This is what all the people in the history of Israel had been waiting for. Jesus had been going around Israel, mainly up in the north, but also down in the south as well. He'd been going around gathering his people. He was teaching. He was healing. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. He was doing signs and wonders, and all along the way, he had consistently told people over and over again to not tell anyone who he really was. But now, today, here in Luke 19, this is the time for the public announcement. It was the moment to proclaim the ultimate message that Messiah is here. If you'd like to follow along, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of the blue ones on the back table. So, over and over again, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus had gone around basically proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God. And what he was saying is, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And if you look at the language that he was using, especially if you look at it in the language called Aramaic, which is what everyone spoke at the time, he was echoing things in the Old Testament about God being with his people, about God reigning, about God being a part of who, of who his people were. And so now was the time, not just for the arrival of the kingdom of God, but for the arrival of the king. This is the Jewish Messiah. This had been prophesied and, and, and waited for for a thousand years. King David, in the book of 2 Samuel, had been promised that a, that a son of his, that a descendant of his would come, that, it was that he was going to sit on David's throne, that he was going to rule and reign over God's chosen people forever. And this is who it was, the Messiah. He was prophesied in, in books like Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. This would be a prophecy that the Pharisees would have known by heart. And it goes like this, Zechariah 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, 
Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and full of salvation is he, and humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's what Jesus was doing here, fulfilling this prophecy. Messiah, the promise of God's redemption. And it's no wonder that people were aching, aching for this promised king, celebrating that he had finally come. It had, by this point, by the time of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it had been a thousand years since the promise was first made to King David. It had been 600 years since the people of Israel, being bound in captivity in Babylon, had come back in to their nation to repopulate, to take Jerusalem over again. But it was always just a shell of what it was before. It had been 400 years that every single empire in the Mediterranean and the Middle East had come through Israel, taken it over, horse-traded it with another empire, subjected them, and ruled over them so that they didn't have rule over themselves. For 400 years this had been going on. And it had been at least 70 years since the last empire came in, the Roman Empire, who had completely taken over. And so it makes sense that these people outside of the gates of Jerusalem that day were aching for this, for this final victorious king that had been promised them so long ago. And that's what today is. That's Palm Sunday. And of course, this was prophesied many, many times. And so it would have been unmistakable for these people to recognize what was going on. Um, someone riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. This was not the first time this had ever happened. 1 Kings chapter 1 tells us that Solomon himself rode to his coronation on his father David's mule. In 2 Kings chapter 9, it says that King Jehu was anointed by the prophet Elisha and then proclaimed king of all Israel. And as the people, and, and as he was walking up to, the, to it, the palace, the people took off their coats and put them on the road so that as he was walking, the dust wouldn't get kicked up onto him. So all of these things coming together. And then, of course, that prophecy from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, riding on a donkey. This was a very kingly entrance that Jesus was doing. So, this stirring scene, the lordship of Jesus, the Messiah is here. The fulfillment of prophecy that a nation had been waiting for for a thousand years. And yet, just a few days after this, this same city that was welcoming him, welcoming him in with shouts of, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. The city that was welcoming, welcoming him in as their greatest champion would just a few days later be crucifying him as their most disposable criminal. But all of this was prophesied. All of this was part of God's plan. This had all been foretold. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains, but we, in turn, regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We all went astray like sheep. 
each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. That's this same king. That's the king who today is having his coronation parade. The same king having his coronation parade today in five days is going to be the scapegoat. The one who is to bear all of the sins of God's people and be sent out of the camp, out into the wilderness to die, rejected, cast out, and alone. I just want to point out a few little snapshots in this Palm Sunday narrative. So first, Jesus commands his people, his disciples, to go into the next town, to the town of Bethany, and to fetch a donkey. And I don't know why, but this part of the story always makes me laugh. It shows up in three out of the four Gospels. It doesn't just say that he obtained a donkey or that he started riding in on a donkey. It's this, this nice little note of, here's how you're going to get it. Go on ahead. There's going to be a donkey there. And when you, when you see it, untie it and take it with you. And if anybody asks, say, the master has need of it. And okay, they went on ahead. And sure enough, they get to this town of Bethany, and they see this donkey, and they untie it, and someone comes running out of the house and saying, what are you doing? And they said, the master has need of it. And whoever owned the donkey went, oh, okay, fair enough, and off they went. So, I don't know why this is in there. I really don't. But every time I read it, I'm, I'm, I'm struck with this. They couldn't have known what was going to happen. Right? Like, Jesus is walking with his disciples from Jericho up to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden he gives them this strange command, a little bit of prophecy, and then, and then a, um, a story to tell the people that, that they come into contact with. And the disciples could not have known what, what the full plan was. They just knew what their part in it was. And we don't always understand what the full plans of Jesus are in the, in the, in the place and the time that he's brought us to but we know what our little part of it is. We can't possibly understand all the ins and outs of the God who actively reigns over his creation. We get little glimpses and nuggets. Go to the next town, untie this donkey, bring it back. They were never given the whole game plan at once, but they obeyed. They trusted him because they knew him. They had a role in what his plan was, and they had a task that he had given them. We don't always understand what the plans of Jesus are, but we can trust him because we know him. And we have a role that he has given us, and we have a task that we know to do. So, back they came with this donkey, and the disciples throw their coats on it. And Jesus sits on the coats, and a crowd of followers who had come up out of Jericho to Jerusalem with Jesus, they line the road with palms and cloaks celebrating the arrival of the king. And they cry out the words of Psalm 118, the very psalm that we just read. All these threads from the Old Testament, psalms, prophecies, everything starting to weave together tighter and tighter into this picture of Messiah. And as he approaches the cross, the threads will get tighter and tighter still until this pattern emerges that's clear and unmistakable. In Psalm 118, verse 25, we heard, Save us, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, Give us success. Save us, O Lord, is the exact same words that these people were shouting on the road. Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. We might not know this in modern language, but Hosanna is not just another churchy word like hallelujah. Hosanna literally means God save us. It's a cry of, of praise, knowing that he can, 
And it's a and it's a it's a plea for mercy, asking that he will. And so what are we to make of all this? All these prophecies, all these shouts of joy, all coming together at once. Psalm 118 continues, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And here these people are coming into Jerusalem. Jerusalem, God's chosen city, where the temple is, the, ho- the very house of the Lord. And these people are proclaiming to Jesus blessings to him from out of the house of the Lord. What are we supposed to do with this? And what are we supposed to do with the fact that one day they're waving palms celebrating the arrival of the Messiah. And less than a week later, they're calling for this man's death. But make no mistake, this was a triumphal entry of the ultimate king. This was a coronation parade. The prophet Isaiah has said that the servant of God was supposed to be high and lifted up. It's just that he wasn't going to be high and lifted up on an earthly throne. The coronation was always headed toward Good Friday, that Jesus was to be high and lifted up on the cross. Jesus' coronation wasn't with a crown of gold or a crown of jewels. It was a crown of thorns. He arrived riding on a colt on which nobody had ever sat, and he ended the week in a tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And that's the mystery of who our king is, this this self-sacrificing king, the suffering servant king. Yes, yes, Jesus wins. That is the ultimate message of the Bible. Jesus wins, but he wins in a way that nobody could have ever seen coming. He wins by losing. He triumphs by suffering. He succeeds by sacrificing. He lays down his life for us so that in turn, we get to lay down our lives for one another. Even so, even so in the midst of all this, we can still shout Hosanna. We can still shout glory be to God in the highest. And yet, we can still always remember that this coronation parade coming up the hill out of Jericho to Jerusalem was always headed one place. It was always headed to the cross. It's a coronation parade that led, that led to death on purpose by the decree of our sacrificing king. And so he lays down his life for us so that we can lay down our lives for one another. Even so that we can lay down our lives for our enemies, so that we can find time to bless those who curse us, to do good to those who wish us evil. Even even people who think that we are completely out of our minds for believing the stuff that we do. You know, every week... um, we will post a thing uh, about our upcoming church service on our Twitter account and our Instagram account and our Facebook account. So sometimes during the year, we'll actually turn it into a, an ad that will get targeted to various people in a geographic area. And we did that this, week, this year with our Holy Week uh, announcement. We turned our Holy Week post into an ad and it got served up to several hundred people in our area. And one guy, just some guy, gets served up this ad on his Facebook page, and he decides that this is his time to push back. And so he starts posting on our Holy Week ad all of this stuff about how the entire premise of Christianity is a lie, about how the idea, even the very idea of a dying and rising Savior God was actually ripped off from like six different religions that came before Christianity. 
from Egyptian gods, Sumerian gods, and stuff like this. And, and he posted it on our page as some, like, big gotcha moment. And this stuff is really common. Like, it's, any, it's, it's nothing that you're not going to hear in a, in a freshman or sophomore level history of religion class. And, and I tried to engage with this guy a little bit because I'm not just going to, you know, post, well, oh, this has already been refuted, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I actually wanted to see if this guy wanted to get together and talk. But as I was thinking about it, this guy is basically, in a different way than, the, than it does in the Bible, but this guy is basically saying, you guys should stay silent about this stuff. It isn't real. It's not true. So why don't you just shut up? Now, it's not the exact same thing. It's a little bit of an awkward shoehorn, but it's not the exact same thing as what the Pharisees in Luke were saying to Jesus. They were telling his disciples to stop talking, stop shouting, stop making noise for this guy. Because the Pharisees were basically saying, how dare people claim that this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah that we've been waiting for for a thousand years. How dare they make this claim? And this guy that, that I was interacting with this week is basically saying, how dare you people claim that there is even such a thing as a Messiah? Don't you realize how stupid this sounds? But, but the command is the same. And the reply that Jesus gives to the Pharisees is the same reply that we can give. If we stop talking about Jesus, if everyone were to suddenly fall silent about Jesus, that even the very rocks themselves would cry out in praise of God because that is just how much Jesus is king over this world. He is, not, he is not king over Israel. He is not king over his people. He is king over all of creation. We hear over and over again how much the creation itself responds to its creator. In Isaiah 55, we're told that when God's plan of redemption reaches its, its full and final conclusion, that the mountains and the hills will break into song and that all of the trees of the forest will clap their hands. We know that, that creation itself, in Romans 8, verse 22, it says that creation itself has been groaning for the redemption that King Jesus brings. And so this is, an, all, this is a, an important statement of just how far-reaching and all-encompassing the rule and reign of King Jesus is. Much more than they could have ever thought that day. Much more than a lot of us think on any given day, I think. And we know this because we have the benefit of the entire Bible. Like, we can read the thing from beginning to end. But the people of that day, throwing their cloaks onto the street, waving palms, they couldn't have known. They couldn't have known the whole story. And that's why Jesus is moved to compassion for them and pity for them. Because they either knew and didn't care or they didn't know at all or they didn't want to know. And so Jesus weeps at the end of our gospel passage today. Jesus weeps for Jerusalem. And this is not the first time that we see Jesus weeping for his people. Weeping for those who will never know him. Weeping for the lost. Yes, Jesus is a powerful warrior king who is mighty to save. And when he comes back, he will come, on a, he will come riding a white horse across the sky with a double-edged sword coming straight out of his mouth. Jesus is a mighty warrior king. 
And his gospel is not only good news to be received, but his gospel is also, Paul tells us, a command to be obeyed. So yes, Jesus is mighty to save. And Jesus is also the suffering servant, bent, broken, for the sake of his flawed and fallen people. But Jesus is also the one who will look on those who do not know him and weep. He weeps for those who do not know him. Verse 41, it says that as he approached and saw the city, he wept, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst, because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. And then about 40 years later, every one of those words of his came true. About 40 years after this took place in the year 70 AD, the Romans completely surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They leveled it, and they reduced the temple of God to a pile of rubble. And so Jesus weeps for those who don't know him, and especially those who were this close to him. They might have been standing on the side of the road that day, but they didn't realize what he truly was or exactly what it was that he was going to do that would bring them peace. The thing that was going to bring them peace was not going to be a king being enthroned. It was not going to be a parade, a display of strength or majesty. The thing that would ultimately bring these people peace is one lone man on a hill outside the city hanging naked on a torture device between two common thieves. And so as we move into this, this Holy Week, kind of the, the dramatic culmination of the entire Christian year, what we'll see is we'll see Jesus riding in on a donkey in triumph. Later on in the week, we'll see Jesus sharing a meal with his friends, washing their feet on Monday, Thursday. We'll see him mocked, tortured, and crucified on Good Friday. And as we, as we move through this week, please remember that every single thing that happens this week was part of God's plan. Absolutely none of this was a surprise to God. Not the donkey, the palms, the coats on the road, not the betrayal of Jesus, not the betrayal by Judas, not the trial, the crucifixion. Absolutely nothing surprised him. Not the cries of blessed is the king or the cries of crucify him. He saw it through to the end. He knew what was coming, and he's the one that set it in motion. So we see Jesus the king, the one who brings good news, the actual literally, literal embodiment of the arrival of the kingdom of God. And he invites all of us, as we did this morning symbolically, he invites all of us to follow him into new life. But following him into new life means picking up our cross and following him to his. We see Jesus, the servant, who later on in the week will put on the, the garment of a slave and who will do the work of a slave by washing the feet of those who follow him. We see Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, the, the scapegoat, as it's known in the Old Testament, the one who has borne our griefs carried our sorrows, pierced for our transgressions, and crushed for our iniquities. 
sent out of the camp to die alone. And then, of course, we will celebrate Jesus the risen. Jesus, who trampled hell and Satan under his feet, rising to this unkillable, everlasting resurrection life, this new creation existence, and inviting us to come with him so that we too can have what he has. And it's a lot to keep in mind all at once. It's why we need a whole week to do this. Like, this is a lot. On Palm Sunday, we hear, Save us, O God, blessed be the Son of David. By Good Friday, we will hear, Crucify him. And all of this reminds me of our passage in Philippians, and I'll close, I'll close by rereading this. This is the kind of king that we follow, keeping all these things together at once. Even though he was by very nature God, he did not account, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But instead, and think of it when he's riding in in this coronation parade, and everybody is shouting, here's the king. But he knows what he's going to do. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the very name of King Jesus, I'm adding that in, at the very name of King Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The Passion Narrative of Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, beginning in the 22nd chapter, the 39th verse. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you not sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? One of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And then he touched his ear and he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against us as a, as a, have you come out against as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And they seized him, and they led him away 
bringing him to the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him also in the light, and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not one of them. And after an interval of about an hour, still another one insisted, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to them, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept saying to him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? They said many other things against him, blaspheming him. And when morning came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, chief priests and scribes, and they led him away from their council. And they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? He said to them, You say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own lips. When the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether this man was a Galilean. When he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him. He had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called for the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to me. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man! Release to us Barabbas, 
a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I find in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for. And he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they had led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. They will begin to say to the mountains, Fall upon us, and say to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things while the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called Golgotha, the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his left and one on his right. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that said, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And if we indeed did justly, we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land <clears throat> until the ninth hour when the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Surely this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all of his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. 
Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decisions or actions. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was coming. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned, and they prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. 